Welcome to episode 19 of Top Turtle MMA Podcast. Gumby, I'd like to play a little word association with you. When I say lightweight mouthguard, what word comes to mind? Sisu. When I say durable mouthguard, what word comes to mind? Um, Sisu. When I say breathable mouthguard, what word comes to mind? Sisu. If you play in a high-impact sport or a team sport, or if you're just a little guy or gal and you play in a youth sport, Sisu has a mouthguard for you. You can talk through them with a mouthguard in your mouth. They protect you against bad stuff like losing your teeth or getting a concussion. And they're durable, so they can take a licking and keep on ticking. Gumby, you like Sisu, right? I love Sisu. Uh, I remember those times when you had to wear the old uh, mouth guards that fill up your whole mouth and make it feel like you were breathing through a straw. And Awful. thank God I don't have one of those anymore. And you cannot have one of those anymore, too, if you go over to SISUGuard.com and get yourself a Sisu mouth guard. Sisu mouth guard brings you episode 19 of Top Turtle MMA. We are rolling. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast. I am one of your two co-hosts, David Tremonti. I, of course, am joined by Daniel Gumby Vreeland, the co-editor of MMA-Manifesto.com. And we, of course, appreciate you getting us in your eardrums. However it is you do that, I would like to remind our listeners that we are available on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, TuneIn, basically wherever a podcast is being streamed, you can catch us there. And, of course, you can go over to MMA-Manifesto.com, the mothership, if you will. We reside on the podcast tab, and you can get all our old episodes, current episodes. You can give us a follow at Top Turtle MMA on Twitter, and you can email us at Top Turtle MMA at gmail.com. And if you want to follow Gumby, the co-editor of MMA Manifesto, the aforementioned, you can follow him at Gumby Vreeland on Twitter. Twitter. Did I get everything, Gumby? I think you got everything right there. Okay, so now we could just get into stuff, right? That's the best part. All right, here we go. Michael Bisping is fighting Luke Rockhold for the 185-pound uh, title at UFC 199 on June 4th in LA. Chris Weidman had to pull out with a last-minute injury, and it sounded kind of like a nasty injury. Yeah, he, I, I mean, I've read a couple of descriptions of it. Uh, I guess he said that you know the bulging disc in the back of his neck pinching a nerve. And it shutting down one of his arms, which, I mean, sounds awful. But the funny thing about it was, too, is after he goes through describing this nasty, gruesome thing, he's like, yeah, I think it'll be about six weeks. Yeah, he. I mean, first he tried to suffer through it, thinking he could get through just the pinched nerve aspect. Yeah, but he, he said he couldn't feel parts of his arm. Like, that. that is ridiculous. You want to be a fucking fighter, bro? I, I guess that's one of those situations, but I just can't imagine, like, I mean, stepping into the cage with somebody like Rockhold who just beat him and not having one of your arms seems silly. And then, uh, yes, for sure. <laughs> and then he basically outlined a recovery that would put him in line for he's obviously gunning for early November when UFC hits Madison Square Garden in yeah. his home state. I just, I don't see it. Yeah, I, I mean, like, okay, so so Madison Square Garden's a little bit more realistic because that's not six weeks away. That That's much, much farther than six weeks away. My question just about that, though, is is if it's you making the matches here, Dave, and I'll put you in the matchmaker seat this time, does he wind up with a title shot at the end of this? Fantastic question. You know I am a big Chris Weidman mark, as they say. I'm a big Chris Weidman fan. I'm a Henzo Gracie guy. Him, GSP, anyone out of Henzo's I like. No, he does not get the title shot, and that pains my heart to say it, but it's a Cain Velasquez situation, yeah. right? I, when you, I feel the same way. When you pull out of the title shot that close, 
and you're coming off maybe a horrific injury. In Kane's case, it was like a compilation of injuries. But you know what? Weidman's had a lot of injuries in the past, too. I think you have to put him against, I'm talking, you know, top five guy, not a pushover fight by any stretch of the imagination. But I wouldn't mind seeing him fight, uh, I don't know, maybe a returning Tim Kennedy or even a Jacare Yoel Romero and kind of just, you know, earn the title shot back. I know the injury wasn't his fault by any stretch of the imagination, but we're not big on rematches anyway, yeah, immediate yeah. rematches. Sometimes you need a little time um, to kind of mature your own game and yeah. grow from the rematch. So, yeah, I no, the answer is no. I, I agree with all that, too, and I'll just throw one more name into the hat there on people he could face. Should, uh, and I, I do believe he will, should... Luke Rockhold just absolutely decimate Michael Bisping. Why not Michael Bisping? Yes. I mean, like that that's like a good intermediate matchup. You're not throwing him to the wolf that is Jacare because at that point, by the time we get to November, if Rockhold dominates uh, Michael Bisping, I, I might you might see a Jacare title shot before then. Which would be really cool, actually, because I am a Jacare fan. But I do just want to say, and we can hold off for this for you know a week or two from now when we're doing our uh, breakdown and gambling predictions and whatnot, but just early returns uh on what this fight is and means and here's the spoiler alert alert luke rockhold's gonna rip his arms off and beat michael bisping to death with them yeah they just I, fought a year ago and rockhold was better in all aspects yeah i think rockhold's size and like you said we'll, we'll save this for a later time but rockhold's size in addition to his grappling chops which are heavily underrated uh make this a bad fight for bisping uh real bad fight yeah, and um, he, you know, I just want to go back to it. What he basically said was, it's a C six to seven, which is in the low neck, uh, the vertebrae, and uh, he'll have re- full range of motion either way, and will be back better than ever. He's told six to eight eight weeks for recovery, and uh, coming out, and twelve weeks if he does the fusion. I think he's going to end up doing the fusion. So you look at 12 weeks there and then another 12 week fight. And you mean, you know, an eight week fight camp. I, I don't know. Just November seems aggressive. Yeah. That, that it's a neck injury. It seems kind of aggressive. Um, but I just also can't imagine that New York card without Weidman on it. That's true too. Um, now the other thing that came out of this was that, uh, Jacques Array had a meniscus tear and he fought on Saturday with a meniscus tear yeah. and he's going in for surgery, but a meniscus tear is, you know, that's better than an ACL MCL. He'll, be back soon enough he could fight this fall without a doubt yeah that that's definitely true uh i will say that it, it disappointed me a little bit that he didn't get the title shot but then knowing that that's what he was up against nobody's gonna walk into a title shot knowing I, they're that that beat up uh, we actually again we're texting like little girls i believe that jacare deserved the title shot over bisping but from a business standpoint when you're in, in gun to your head short notice fight you have two weeks to hype a fight now that people were juiced up about Bisping is the better choice from a marketing perspective because Bisping is going to talk fans into the fight. Oh, oh I agree a hundred percent. You know, he's, he's got a large following since he's been on the UFC desk with the UFC tonight crew. So I, I would imagine he's easier to sell the fight to, but I do think that uh, if I remember correctly, Dana White said that I just looking at news articles this morning said that they tried to give it a Jacare only his knee was jacked up. He right. turned it down. So, uh, you know, interesting that they were willing to go, you know, probably the harder to market route. Yeah. Yeah. Um, here's the other thing I wanted to bring up about that card 199. There was another short notice fight, which was 
Uh, Dennis Seaver had to pull out of his fight against returning legend BJ Penn. It'll be main eventing, quote-unquote, the prelims on FS1. And Cole Miller stepped up on short notice. What did you think of that? You see, I I don't really know necessarily uh, what that does. Because I'm trying to think, as far as stylistic matchup, how this plays into it. And the really difficult part from that is I don't know what BJ Penn's style is anymore, right? Like, if we go back to when he was champ... I can tell you exactly what his style was. If you, you know, pay attention to that Frankie Edgar fight where he fought on his tiptoes and played this weird That was not yeah, I don't think that, we'll see that's, that's, that I don't DJ, think you'll but... see that either, but now he's also training in a different camp too, so are you gonna see a third different thing? He's definitely a guy who likes to reinvent himself all the time. So I was gonna say, you know, if he was fighting that that Frankie Edgar tippy toe style, Seaver would have been a bad fight for him. He would have taken him down, and he just would have been in butterfly hooks the whole time. Um, Cole Miller, obviously not the case, but Cole Miller is a better matchup for BJ Penn of old. You know, like BJ Penn of old would just tear through him. He would outbox yes. him, and he would take him down if he needed to. Um, but it'll be interesting to see. Cole Miller is also a, a tough out for anybody because he's so lanky. He has the reach on BJ, right? Yeah, he's got way reach on him, I believe. It, it is kind of tough because, you know, as much as BJ went out on this, like, kind of awful losing streak, the people he lost to were world class. You know, he drew John Fitch. He lost to Nick Diaz. He lost to Rory McDonald, both way bigger people than him. And then he lost to Frankie fucking Edgar. You know, how much stock can I really put in that losing streak when you're yeah. losing the all-world guys? Is BJ elite? No. But can he beat the Cole Millers of the world? Uh, yeah, probably. But, but how? when was that last Frankie Edgar fight, though? That was back in July of 2014. He hasn't fought in two years. Yeah, so, it, I mean, it's going to be two years off. So, yeah, we can say, yeah, he would have beat Cole Miller back then, right? Oh, of course. Uh, as long as he wasn't tippy-toeing. But yeah. uh, will he now? Who knows? You know, he could be rusty, for all we know. All right, another fight announcement I uh, wanted to get your take on, which was it's official after so much rumors uh, flying back and forth about this welterweight, the next welterweight title shot. And I just want to set this up. You know, uh, there was the UFC said Tyron Woodley would get the next title shot coming off uh, a scheduled fight he had in November against Johnny Hendricks or Johnny Hendricks miss weight. I'm a Woodley fan. We've talked about it on the show before. I didn't really think uh, when your opponent misses weight that you just automatically should get a title shot, especially... Certainly not six months away or seven months away. Yeah, and I mean, that division is so loaded, it's like, if there was ever a time where I could get behind the way UFC really makes guys just earn these title shots, it's at 170 pounds. This ain't the flyweight division, people. But Tyron Woodley is getting the next shot at Robbie Lawler at 201. It is what it is, but I just look at that and it's like, man, the winner of Rory versus Wonderboy, um, even a, a immediate, and not that I'm big into immediate rematches, I can even get behind Condit. I, I don't know. It's just, it's it's a little lackluster for me. I, I agree with that, but here's what I will say. While I agree with you, and if you got a chance to read uh, Matt Brown's comments, I agree with you and Matt Brown. Matt Brown was rip shit. Um, it, I think it has a lot to do with timing. Okay, so Wonder Boy is about to step in with Rory Mack. Uh, you know, that's happening. Is that next month? It's June 18th. June 18th. Okay, and what is that 201 card going to be? Late July? Uh, yes, late or early August. Or early August. So probably that. 45 days away from that Rory fight, maybe, if I had to ballpark it. Yep. You know, like, if you're talking typical suspensions, you know, medical suspensions, that's really pushing the envelope to hope that one of those guys would be able to turn around. Um, 
you know, so I don't think either of those two guys have a gripe because I think it, what that sets up really well is whoever wins that fight gets to fight the winner of the other fight. The person that this steams the most, I think. Damian Maya. Damian Maya. I mean, like, I know we keep, like, beating a dead horse and saying this guy keeps getting overlooked, but think about what he just did to Matt Brown. He toyed with Matt Brown like he was a cat playing with a mouse for 14 and a half minutes before he mercy killed him and tapped him out. Matt Brown even tweeted out afterwards, hey, thanks for the BJJ, the free BJJ lesson. <laughs> and I was like, straight up, dude, he taught Matt Brown some shit about BJJ right there. Uh, so when you, when you take all that into account, somebody just beats him that badly. I, I don't know. I don't know how you don't at least consider him, right? And Tyrone Woodley, when was the last time he fought? Um, it's been forever. I, yeah, I think we're going back now. When it's was be September. last fight? It wasn't even September. It had to have been earlier. I'll look it up. Hold on. It's because, uh, let's Call see. the non-existent intern. I'm calling the non-existent intern. He obviously lost to Rory in 2014, and then he came back and beat Jung Young Kim. Oh, that's the that's the fight I was missing. Kevin Gastelum in January of 2015. He hasn't. He wouldn't have fought in a year and a half. So it's been a year and a half, and a weight cut got him this title shot. And he's 2-1 and one in his last three. He lost to Rory McDonald. Yeah, so, I mean, but again... You could say Roy McDonald would deserve it with a win over Wonder Boy, but they're not going to be healthy in time. We can assume with the style that those two fight, whoever wins is not coming out unscathed. I wonder what they have in line for Nick Diaz, because Diaz is eligible in August. Well, I mean, Diaz versus Demian Maia would certainly sell itself, wouldn't it? Yes. I mean, the jiu-jitsu there. I mean, if he can do that to Matt Brown, let's see him try to do it to Nate Diaz, because that would be interesting to me. Yeah. Uh, and I do think he'd get Nate Diaz down. Um, now, another thing is not a fight announcement, but rather a fight rumor, and it could just be your boy Dana hyping things because that's what he does, but he said there's still one more fight to be announced for UFC 200, yeah. and he sort of hinted that it's a big one. Yeah, well, I have a kind of a rumor from that, too. If you've been following uh, fighters on Twitter and Instagram, uh, Mark Hunt, friend of the show, recently posted a poster uh, that just said UFC 200 in the middle of it, mm. and he said... Uh, Get ready. It's like get ready or excited for this one or something like that. But it didn't like talk about any fights. I mean, he could be talking about just like a fighter he enjoys watching or he could just be a company man. But um, I'm not sure if it's still up. You may have taken it down. So if you go look. Uh, but I did see a screen capture of it. Um, Somewhere uh, where he was talking about him you know, and Ben Rothwell, maybe. I mean, him and Ben Rothwell would be fun. Um, I'm trying to think of who else is around in the heavyweight division and is healthy right now. Right. I mean, JDS. JDS well, JDS just had shoulder surgery. Oh, he is not right. healthy. He did just have full shoulder surgery. Touche. Uh, I guess. I mean, would they wait? I mean, I think Overeem will get to no, that in a o minute. Overeem gets the title yeah, shot. Anyway. So what about like, running it back with uh, Big Country again? Yeah. Yeah, okay. I mean, maybe. I, I'm so sorry. I don't even mean to go down this road. I really find the UFC 200 uh, lineup lackluster. Yeah, it's... Uh, Can we just talk about this real quick? I mean, I'm 198 sorry. did way better. Yes. As far as matchmaking And, and we'll goes, talk 198 in like hold two on. seconds. Let's just get into this for a second, okay? Sage Northcutt is going against Enrique Martin. Don't even know the guy. They should have given him a legit he's, prospect. I'm pretty sure he's a tough Latin America guy. So you're giving Sage Northcutt the UFC 200 treatment. But you don't put, like, Jake Matthews is fighting three days prior. Why? Yeah, you know what You know what strikes me about that lineup? And, and this is why I think 
me and you as hardcore fans think UFC 200 sucks is because we were waiting for them to use this show to hype their prospects. Like yeah. UFC 100 hyped John Jones he was as on a the prelim undercard. fighter right. and things like that, right? So we were looking for the undercard to be stacked with guys that we're pumped about. You know, the Stevie Rays, the Jake Matthews, the... Nowhere to be found. You know, They uh, might be fighting that week, but not at UFC but, 200. And I think that's what they did, though. Instead of packing UFC 200... They used all of those guys during the week uh, and instead tried to put all guys who would be on pay-per-views on UFC 200. And I think they think that made it a better card. Well, fuck because, them. Right, like, because, but here's, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but Takanori Gomi versus Jim Miller does nothing for me. But, I like Jim Miller. But on that token, too, is that not your like atypical first fight on a pay-per-view? Sure. It is because they don't want to put those guys on Fight Pass anymore because they take the fight that is everybody's excited about and put it on Fight Pass. And then they put one of those types of fights as the fifth fight. I mean, I bet you you could read me three or four fights off of that card that are all first fights on a pay-per-view. And they're all in the prelims. So what they did was they took all of the first fights from pay-per-views, made them all the prelims. And they're like, look, we gave you 12 pay-per-view worthy fights, which might be true. But I would have much rather seen all of the good fight pass pass. Well, the other, here's like the fundamental thing I have a problem with, and we've already brought it up, and I'm sorry to keep beating a dead horse, but Johnny Hendricks versus Kevin Gastelum is Johnny Hendricks versus Johnny Hendricks Light, and it's also two guys who have missed weight, and I'm supposed to be excited about that fight. That is, I like Styles Clash. Styles clashes make for the best fights, in my opinion. Yep. So all they've done is just match up two guys who are going to try to wrestle box each other to a decision. We haven't seen power out of either of them. We haven't seen power well, out of Johnny Hendricks in years. In, in a while. Yeah, in, I will right. say in a while. In years. He was knocking people out like crazy it's at the three, beginning. Three, four years ago. Yeah. So to me, what I'm looking at is if I'm going through this from a gambling perspective, uh, Gegard Musasi, Derek Brunson, sure. Is that... that- Again, another one of those fifth fights on a pay-per-view. Yes. No, everyone is a name here, so I'm not taking away from that. But again, I could see that going to a decision. It's a three-round fight. Johnny Hendricks-Gaston, decision. Uh, Misha Tate-Amanda Nunes, I'll probably bet decision. Jose Aldo-Frankie Edgar, they fought to a decision two years ago. I see no reason they won't fight to a decision again. Jones-Cormier, Jones doesn't finish anyone. Uh, that's anymore, go, again, anymore, right? Recently, that's that went to a decision. It's going to go to a decision. This fight card has a chance to have nine fights go to a decision. No joke, because they didn't match up styles clashes. Yeah, I, I guess I can see that too. And and again, so so it's bad matchmaking on that part. And again, I think it's bad matchmaking on the part of the way that they divvied these cards up. Because I just think that I mean it's. It's bad news that you you decided to take all these pay per view worthy things and and try to bunch them together, whereas in reality most people would much rather see the young gun who's going to knock somebody out in three seconds, right? Like, wouldn't you rather see Thomas Almeida versus Cody Garbrand? Take my money now. Yeah, and that's coming up next weekend on a free fight pass fight. But that's the kind of fight they should have been putting on there because as soon as Thomas Almeida hits prime time and throws another flying knee to somebody's face and knocks him cold, right? Now we want to watch. Right. Anyway, I don't mean to go down that rabbit hole. All right. Um, and then this was the other thing I had to bring up because it's just still in the news, which is your boy Floyd Mayweather is insisting that he wants to fight Conor McGregor and Conor McGregor has been posting on social media. I think this is actually this actually is Floyd pushing it. I think Connor's just riding the wave. He's posting stuff like just had a great boxing training. Yeah, went, I, I, I don't it, think Connor 
has any inkling that it's going to happen. Yeah. Connor locked himself up in a pretty long contract. Right. And there's no way the UFC is going to let him do it. So uh, when Floyd May- Mayweather tweets out, yeah, it's a high probability that it's going to happen, he's just trying to stay relevant. Yeah. He's just a retired boxer trying to stay in the spotlight. And there's no boxers left for him to call out. He's either beaten all of them or boxing has ceased making stars for the most part. And I don't mean that offensive to, to people who are combat sports, but me and Dave here love combat sports. And I can't name you probably more than 10, 15 boxers um, off the top of my head. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I if boxing's on it, I watch it because I'm a combat sports fan, but I kind of boxing broke my heart in the late nineties and took my pay-per-view money and I kind of never went back to it. And and I I watched enough Floyd fights to just be like, nah, I'm good. I think it Uh, brings me back to, to what, uh, when we talked about to Art Davey the other day, uh, about what the UFC has to do to become even bigger. And it was, he talked about making sure that they made stars and I think boxing didn't do that. So now Floyd feels like he's got nobody to call out because there's no stars left in boxing. That's there's no people who like yeah. draw the allure of crossover fans. So we went to somebody who would and, and you know, Connor's locked in a contract which isn't similar to boxing, so he's never gonna get what he wants. I agree with that. And here's one other thing to note, which is on the night we are taping this uh, there are uh, rumblings of a meeting. Um, actually, it's not even rumblings. This yeah, is they, like a they said they're thing. going to dinner. Yeah. So Connor and the Fertitas and Dana White are going to dinner right now, and they're going to make nice, nice, and they're going to kiss and make up, and maybe you know, sometime in the next week, we will get the UFC 202 announcement of McGregor Diaz. Because the way I look at it. The UFC played their cards right on this one. You know, you don't try to out-gamble two guys who own a casino. This has been said by a million people before. Nothing clever there. But the Fertitas stuck to their guns. You cannot dictate when you do or do not do media appearances. And they took him off the UFC 200 card. But Connor's still a mega star. They're going to want to appease him in some way. He seems to really want the Nate Diaz fight. And I think the meat in the middle will be, okay, we took you off 200 because you didn't do the media. We would like you to fight the winner of Aldo Edgar, but Connor's going to insist, no, I want Nate Diaz. I want to avenge middle, that loss. Middle ground is beat Diaz. And yeah, you, and you your know, next fight is, is, is defending your belt. Yeah, and your next fight is at 202 against Nate Diaz, which is what you want. So that'll be that's kind of my prediction for the meet in the middle. Um, and then, of course, GSP is still floating out there. I saw some training pictures of him with uh, Eddie Cummings, which is kind of uh, fun. That's yeah, interesting. He's training down at Henzo with Donner uh, <laughs> and Eddie Cummings. So, hey... What if GSP comes back and he's locking legs? That'd be awesome. <laughs> GSP. You know what I actually thought about was, um, you know that uh, Wonderboy Thompson goes and cross trains up at um, Saralongo with Weidman, yep. right? Um, but he also is down in, I want to say, like Virginia or North Carolina or somewhere and trains with Ryan Hall. Yeah, he, he goes up. So Ryan Hall's 50-50 Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is in Virginia, and I know that... Uh, I believe Stephen Thompson runs Upstate Karate, which is either also in Virginia or in Pennsylvania. So here's like my so like little little triumvirate of places that Wonder Boy trains. So in. here's like my stoner kind of nerd boy thought on that. Can you imagine if you combine the talents of Wonder Boy Thompson and his karate style? 
uh, Ryan Hall and his jiu-jitsu leg lock game and Chris Weidman and his wrestling background. I mean, that That's playing Frankenstein with the best possible monster. Yeah, you could be, come up with it 170. That'd be like the coolest fighter ever, though. Well, I will say that uh, I've seen some things about Ryan Hall. He's, the reason he hasn't been back in so long is that he is working really hard on making sure he gets his stand-up at straight. And, uh, that's awesome. And, and Wonder Boy has been a big part of that, supposedly. He with, does with, actually have kind of a cool, like, Hoist Gracie-esque front kick that he uses. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Isn't like that a, funny? It's almost like a push, but it also is like a flick. Yeah. Yep. Now that I think of that, and uh, yeah, I never even pieced that together that maybe uh, that One, was like Wonder Boy's doing. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if it was Wonder Boy's doing, but he's definitely honed it in with uh, with Thompson. So. And everything is just to set up that leg lock game. Yeah. Um, all right. And here's the last news bit. Uh Paige Van Zandt has made the finals of Dancing with the Stars. Be honest, you're watching. I've never seen an episode of Dancing with the Stars. Oh. That's completely honest. Dude, uh, and I'm that. irritated every single time I see it on t- the UFC's Twitter handle. All right. Well, I'm sorry. I checked I checked out the last dance, and I was quite impressed. Yeah. I mean, nah. It doesn't do anything for me. Um. So She's, she's also like, isn't she like 20? Like yeah. Her, yeah. Okay. What does just, that mean? I'm just saying. Well, I'm not like looking at her either because she's young enough for me to have taught at uh, this point in time. Yeah. You I come mean, at I, it from that. I'd uh, pretty much be a pervert. Yeah. If, moralistic if was, teacher yeah. standpoint. Yeah. Didn't um, see that coming, did you? No, I didn't. <laughs> I was like, where are we going with this? Um, all right. So that's kind of the news wrap up for the week. Let's talk about UFC 198 and let's start with our boy, Steve Miocic, really a man of the people. The guy's a firefighter, worked his way up the ranks, tried to take a short notice fight in February that got pulled away from him. Then he gets the title fight, goes down to Brazil and knocks out Fabricio Verdum cold. Yeah. And, and we kind of said that too, in the preview too, we were talking mm-hmm. about how he just, he's got that puncher's chance. If he keeps mm-hmm. it on his feet, he's got the power. He can do it. Uh, but then we both pick Verdum, too, so let's both put that on the line, Well, too. we were trying to make the best bet, <laughs> Yeah, but and we did give Miocic a chance. He definitely had and, a chance. And everyone has a chance in the heavyweight division, and to be fair, Verdum did tag him a couple of times and look good. Ver- Verdum's stand-up looked better than I thought. At first, I was a little worried for Steve. Me, too. Especially when he was rushing, but uh, that, my first thought, and maybe you thought the same thing when you were watching... That was a Chuck Liddell knockout. Yes, right. Yeah, that's great. Backpedaling, backpedaling, throws a hook and the dude's sleeping. Yeah, that Um, is a great analogy. He looked just like like a big Chuck Liddell in that case, just backpedaling until he needed to throw it. And when he threw it, it landed and it was lights out. I I think Verdum must be. You want to talk about Jose Aldo and the flash knockout of 13 seconds. That is what it is. And I'm down to see Jose Aldo after being a dominant champion for nine years, blah, 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 come back and try to avenge that. But Verdum actually was having success in that fight. And if he could take it back, why did he rush in like that? Yeah, I don't know if it was just the adrenaline. The other thing I will say about Verdum, and maybe it's just what he always does, and maybe I just haven't studied enough of his his, uh, his demeanor, but when he walked in, instantly I had a really bad feeling for him. Like because he was doing a smile and all that? He was doing a weird smile. He was playing it up for the crowd. He was like you know, stopping to shake people's hands. And I was just like, and then he did the weird running, which I'm pretty sure he's never done that. Like he like stopped for a second, like shook some people's hands, did his weird face like eight or nine times. And then he like sprinted in. And I was like, this looks like a dude who's nervous. Yeah. Or, or this looks like a dude who's not taking it seriously enough. One or the other in either way, it bodes well for Stipe. I just had like a weird gut feeling when he was walking in that this is going to be bad for him. 
Um, and call it what it what it is. You know, it, it, it could be anything. Maybe he does that more often than I know, and I just don't see it. They didn't show his walk in one time, or you know, who knows? But I, I think that maybe you know, playing in front of his home crowd and getting to ham it up a little bit. Maybe he didn't take this one as seriously as he could have. Perhaps. So I have a question for you, and it's so awesome. I'm just so happy for Stipe um, to see him like he was at the Cavaliers game when he came home. Did, if you saw you that see, at the airport. Did you see him at the Indians game? Yeah. So the he, Indians let him take BP, and he jacked one out. Well, well he, he was a college baseball college player. College baseball player. Yeah. D1 college baseball player, if I'm not mistaken. So I'm super happy for him. We're both Stipe fans here. I think I honestly have to believe the UFC is probably happy, too, just because even though he has a Croatian name, he is an American fighter. And He's I hugely marketable yeah i think the ufc wants the you know quote-unquote baddest man on the planet your heavyweight champion i think they prefer he be in the brock lesnar kind of you know just looking like an american badass yeah i think it's easier to market Market. to like large beer drinking american that's what i'm trying to say the brock lesnar era for for I mean, the, came out and wanted a Bud Light or, or no, wanted a Coors Light, not a yeah, Bud Light. Not, yeah. Whatever that speech was. I want to go home, hump my wife, and yeah, it, drink a Coors Light. Yeah, it was it was great to bring in fans. And and not that Stipe's that kind of guy, but you're right. Stipe's marketable to that kind of and audience. I think the heavy, it's very important that your heavyweight champion kind of have a bit of an attitude because he's the heavyweight champion. Yeah, and, I mean, and Stipe's got a bit of an attitude. And yeah, It's he, not much, but it, he, he knows how to turn it on. It's just one of those things that if people are watching in a bar or what have you, it catches their eye the bigger the guys are. Yeah. I mean, this is what Vince McMahon built a billion-dollar empire on, which is just have guys who are huge that when they walk through an airport, People say, who's that? That guy looks like he could beat me up. Yep, absolutely. Right? So I think they like that. But here's my question to you, Gumby. Um, we are both big Stipe fans. I am putting a gun to your head. Okay. The record for UFC title defenses, heavyweight title defenses, is two. Randy Couture did it twice. Tim Sylvia did it twice. Brock Lesnar did it twice. Cain Velasquez did it twice. Is Stipe Miocic the guy that's going to have three Heavyweight title defenses? I'm going to say no. Yeah, same here. Uh, I, I just have a bad feeling. I mean, Stipe is great, but you got to imagine he's going to fight Overeem. I like his chances against Overeem. He's mm-hmm. got a good back for Overeem. But, uh, then you have either a Kane or a Travis Brown coming. Uh, Kane or, or possibly, I mean, I, I'd like to say that after he fights Kane, which is probably a ways away, right? If he, if he fights Overeem. Say Kane wins. Kane gets the next one. We're talking like January for Kane, probably. Right, but wait. His injury uh, hold, hold on, right. I was just going to say, just one clarification. They're scheduled for January. Kane pulls out, and the fight gets delayed to March. <laughs> to Keep March. Going. Anyway, yeah. so we're talking about almost a whole year away before we talk about his third. By then, is JDS back in, and JDS holds a win over him. I do have to say, I would pick Miocic over JDS in the rematch, because it was so razor thin, and I think JDS is a little older. I think his chin is a little more crumpled after Overeem. Yeah, but I, but we're we're talking about, too, if he's defending it three those three times, those are three very different fighters, and it only takes one of the styles to be his kryptonite. Sure. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. maybe he doesn't do takedowns well. Who's the only guy he's fought that's taken him down? I mean, is there one? Uh, Hang on. This is a fun game, too. I played this the other day. Stefan Struve. <laughs> I, I don't think Stefan Struve took him down, but Stefan Struve is, is the other I, lot. Yeah, I knew that's where you were going with it. Isn't that crazy? I, that's... I was looking at his record. I was like, oh, 14 and 2. Well, I know he lost to Dos Santos, and I looked back. TKO loss to Stefan Struve. So crazy, man. Um, so. 
Uh, yeah. I like that you knew where I was going with that before I even fucking well, asked It's just it. so crazy <laughs> that we live in a world now where Stevan Struve could say he beat the heavyweight champion, yeah. just not when he was the champion. But There's he, only two people who can say that, him and Dos Santos. That's, that's incredible. And maybe, you know what, Struve's still young. Maybe this is his, you know, maybe he goes on a run well, right I now. Well, I mean, he just got a pretty impressive win over Bigfoot. What was that, 13 seconds, 14 yeah, seconds? Well, Bigfoot gets knocked out yeah, by him. But I, I, I agree with you. But he's, you know. He has looked better yeah. uh, since he moved camps. Absolutely. He you know, training out of the Black Zillions is good for him. Henry Hoof, you know, all I, that good stuff. I'm having a brain cramp. Maybe you can just help me on this. What were we just saying about? You said he had three murders coming. Yeah, I mean, his he's life. got three murders and three very different styles of murders that he's going to have to face in that heavyweight division. It only takes one stylistic error to you know stop him from getting three title defenses. Right. You know, he beat the crap out of Mark Hunt over four oh, rounds yeah absolutely so, so i mean but that shows he can definitely be a, a good kickboxer right a right. guy who, who throw which to me if you're gonna equate mark hunt with one of those guys it's like overeem right they're k1 guys right but then he fights a wrestler and then he fights a boxer and then so like there's lots of different styles there it only takes one knock on the chin to call it a day and you know hell maybe he might fight verdum again in those three fights that i actually do believe that verdum should get a title shot you know if he one more win and then he would be back in it i would like to see him you know try to reclaim that belt yeah if you gave him somebody like uh dos santos sure when dos santos is back yeah i'd watch those two and then if you won you know you get get him back in the mix but it is yeah either of them would get back in the mix with that it is cool that stipe miocic of all people is the ufc heavyweight champion yeah it's crazy isn't that crazy if you told me that like a couple years ago i'd have laughed and and here's another weird thing to think about if kane never pulled out of that fight in early february um, I don't think Stipe would have necessarily just gotten this title shot right away. Like, let's say he would have had to fight somebody. I he think. would have had to fight someone else because they would have been like, "Oh, Miocic is just sitting around. Fight him against someone." Yeah. So it's kind of, okay. Here, I thought about what I wanted to say. Thank God. Okay, here's what I wanted to say. We were talking about who might be on the horizon for Stipe, and I just want to bring this up, which is that if uh, John Jones beats Daniel Cormier for the light heavyweight title. At UFC 200 in July, I see no reason why Daniel Cormier can't just come back up to heavyweight. He moved because his training partner and friend, Cain Velasquez, was at heavyweight and was the champion. But newsflash, DC, and he knows this. One, Cain Velasquez isn't the champion anymore. And two, Cain Velasquez doesn't fight that often. Yeah, I I, I could see it happening. The only problem is, is that I just don't see Cormier... Doing all of that work to get down to 205 so that he could be out of Kane's division and then turning around and heading back because it's almost he's he's a guy with a lot of pride. Mm-hmm. And when he talks shit to, to John Jones, he's got a lot of pride behind what he says. I can't imagine him doing that because it's admitting he can't beat him. But he can't beat him. He'd be I, 0-2. No, I agree with that. <laughs> I agree with that. And I think he's going to be 0-2. So, I think he's going to be a hard 0-2. Okay, so if I'm DC's manager on the night after UFC 200 or a couple of days after the sting is over. He's like, you want some Twankies? <laughs> <laughs> I would say to him, look, you are now a one-time light heavyweight champion. Go back to heavyweight. Become a two-division. There are very few people in this world who could say they were a two-division champion. It's padding your resume. It's padding your legacy. I'm not saying what you're saying is illogical. I'm just saying I don't believe it'll happen. We'll see. I I actually think that's going to be – I really think that's going to be his next move. 
Um, I, I hope you're right, but I don't think you're right. We'll see. Um, you know, we have to go back to our first episode. We talked about who would be – we took the 10 champions on January 1st and talked about who would be still champion at the end of the year. And the non-existent intern has it written down somewhere. And, I mean, we're they're popping off one by one. Yeah, there's, there's not a lot left, like, right? Right. Like, so let's, let's just do a where are they now, okay? So uh, Mighty Mouse, still the champ. Mighty Mouse is still the champ. TJ Dillashaw, not the champ. Not the so champ. that's one champion down. Uh, Connor McGregor is still kind of the champ. <laughs> still kind of the champ. But you know what? Let's see what happens at this dinner R- party. RDA tonight. is the champ. RDA is still the champ. Good on him. Uh, Lawler still, still the, the champ. champ. And I kind of think he'll still be the champ. Yeah. Uh, 185. Uh, Rockhold still the champ. Uh, so we really haven't lost as many as we think we have, right? We lost Dillashaw. It's only May. Yeah, I guess it's only May. But we lost Dillashaw, Verdum, kind of Cormier, kind of Connor, and then we lost uh, Ronda. Ronda, obviously. yeah. And so, JJ's still champion. Or no, Holm, because it was Holm. We January lost Holm. Right? Holm, so yeah. Holm. So, I mean, three really is all we lost. It's only you're May. right, it is only May. I think last year was more devastating if, if you go back and check uh, – here was the oh, well it was, but we're only halfway through the year. True, true. I, I think only three lasted through twenty fifteen, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, three survived. Three survived. So, so we're a little behind that pace, at least. Yeah, but we're almost right there. Yeah, because if we double it, it'll be six. We'll That's be about true. three or four. About the, about the same way. They, they also there have been a lot of injuries too that have kind of delayed stuff. Yeah, you know, like uh, Cormier hasn't even defended yet. Lawler hasn't even defended yet. That almost seems unfair to compare it to the year before because Lawler might only have one title defense. Connor this year. hasn't defended. No, because he yeah. fought Nate Diaz. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, it's so, weird. So this is JJ of, hasn't defended. Uh, not yet. Not yet. They're all going to have like yeah. one title defense. Yeah, weird. Um, I, this is one last thing I did want to bring up, and then we'll keep going down the card to 198, which was think of this epic run of injuries that the UFC has had to get through. Because we talked about 2014 being a bad year for injuries and messing up the pay-per-views. It was nothing like this run. Look at this. At the original 196, Kane pulls out. Then Verdum pulls out. They had to cancel the entire freaking pay-per-view. At the new 196, they're primed for uh, Connor versus RDA. 11 days prior, RDA has to pull out, albeit might have actually led to a bigger buy rate. True. Because Nate Diaz uh, went in, but I don't think the UFC ever wants to be in that position, no no matter what the outcome. Then at 197, you have Jones-Cormier, which again did a great buy rate the first go-around. Cormier has to pull out. And they put in OS- OSP, and from all accounts, that buy rate is going to be horrific. Yeah, I would imagine. Then at 198, he wasn't a main event, but it was in Curitiba, his hometown, and obviously a legend. Anderson Silva pulls out, and now for 199, you have a great rematch with like the two best middleweights on the planet, and Weidman has to pull out. Yeah, and that, that's a bad that's a, run. That's a bad run. Yeah. And that's, that's a really bad run. All right, let's keep going down the card which was uh, the co-main event. You had Jacare, and we already talked about it a little bit, um, bested your boy Vitor the Phenom Belfort. Uh, it was a second round. First round. Was it first round? First round, I think there was uh, right, right very at the end of the first round, if I'm not mistaken. Um, uh, it was a uh, TKO just due to ground and pound. Yeah, I mean, he was all over him. There, there's really not much to say. You're about. right. It was 438 into the first round. Yeah. I thought Vitor actually survived the first round, but mm-hmm. he, here's all I want to say. We already talked about the Salsa side. Let's talk about Belfort. Not the same fighter off TRT. Yeah, not even close. Kind of a little tired of even discussing him as like a top of the division star. Where do you want to see him go next? Well, let him fight Anderson. 
I mean, like again. Yeah, he already got front kicked to the face. Let him fight him again. Okay. I mean, it, it would sell out a show in Brazil. It'd sell out a show in Brazil. They're both aging. Vitor would love to do it again. It's somebody Anderson could be. Let's, yeah. I mean, if you're if the re, Uriah Hall fight doesn't get rebooked with Anderson, you got to either go prospect with Anderson or old timer with Anderson. Yes. And you know, there aren't a lot of prospects that are like fun stylistic matchups with him apart from Uriah Hall. So you could give him the old timer and Vitor. I, I have no problem with that. All right, um, and then going down the card, Cyborg murdered Leslie Smith in the first round, a minute 21 into it. Uh, what do you want to see happen with Cyborg? Now? So I actually like what Cyborg said, uh, that she's planning on going back to Invicta and defending her 145-pound championship. She's interested in 140-pound catch fights occasionally in the UFC. I think what she's doing really well is she is trying to coax the UFC into doing a Ronda Rousey play. Mm-hmm. She is going to give them just enough of a taste constantly to let them know she can sell tickets and it's time to bring 145 pound women to the UFC. I'm ready. And, and I think she did it. I mean, like if you watch the way that that fight went, I mean, if she's adamant that she's not going down to 130 Five. Five pounds. And her trainer did say, yeah, she could do it, but she's going to suffer in performance. Yep. And she's not interested. She can go collect her check from Invicta, come over and get a big payday once in a while from the UFC. I, I agree with it. I say, hey, let's bring 145ers in. There are a couple of good 145ers out there. Uh, you know, Marlos Conan fights at Bellator. You could bring somebody like her And in. a lot of the 135-pounders could probably just move up. Yeah, could probably move up ones. when they get sick of getting beat by the couple of girls who are on the top there. Right. You know, I I rather see 145 pound women than I would say 125. Yeah, I agree with that. Or even Adam weight 105. Yeah, I, I'm. I think that the smart play would be to add 145. It's almost like you were just saying with the heavyweights too. There's like that intrigue of like who's the baddest man on the planet. Mm-hmm. 145 women has that same feel, right? Because right. Cyborg has a feel of like she's the baddest woman on the planet when she steps into the cage. I, so as far as if they could get a couple of the top bantamweights to come up and just do catchweights with her, very, very interested to see both Holly and Misha against Cyborg. Yeah, I'd like to see both of those. Uh, I know the fight they've been talking about is that Jermaine Durandamine. Yeah. And if it stayed standing, if it stayed I think standing. it would be fun too, yes. but fun in the same way that Leslie Smith was fun. Right. Willing to throw with her, might get a, a hand on her once in a while. And Leslie Smith threw a couple of hands in there that made it at least interesting. Mm. Um, but, yeah. Jermaine Durandamine at least has like world-class striking. Uh, striking That's to, true. To fall back on. I, I will... I do want to say this one thing about the card, too, uh, before we, we leave the Cyborg and Stipe note, uh, is that the timing on this card was absolutely amazing. So if you went back and watched, if you're you're a channel flipper, which occasionally I am in between fights, uh, especially when there's no Joe Rogan to listen to. There's only so much Mike Goldberg I can hear. Um, if you're a channel flipper and you were flipping between this and other things like Bellator or other sports or ESPN... Uh, Shortly before Cyborg fought, her ex-husband got knocked out cold Damn. by Syed Awad in Bellator. And if you were watching ESPN slightly before Stipe fought, they had a 30 for 30 special called Believeland mm-hmm. talking about Cleveland's struggles of not getting a championship. That's amazing. Just like it was like two hours before it ended. That's awesome. So like the timing on this card was freaking stellar. I like found out those two things. 
like well after the fact like one of my buddies who is a channel flipper pointed that out and i was like nice that's, that's like really good timing um the only last thing i want to say because we already talked about damian maya being all world at jiu-jitsu and a level above everyone else that 170 pound division the last thing i do want to bring up noteworthy from the card is Brian Barberina beats his second mega prospect in the, in a row. Uh, dis- unanimous decision win over Worley Alves down in Brazil. Brian Barberina, the prospect killer. What a guy. You, you, I think we got to give him somebody pretty legit in yes. the division, right? Like, he, he just showed you that he was better than Sage, and everybody wrote that one off and being like, well, Sage wasn't as good as everybody thought. They had been throwing him cupcakes for weeks on end. He had strep throat. He had strep throat, and he didn't know what that choke was, and it's actually stronger than you think it is, and all of those kinds of things. And then he stepped in. Dude, Warley Alves is a bad man. Legit. I said that in the preview show, that he is a freaking bad dude. He messed up Colby Covington when he fought him a week ago, who's also a hell of a prospect. So for Barbarina to beat him... Like, this guy's legit. This is a guy that we need to start talking about putting against the top 15, top 20 guy. Well, let me just give you right now, and you tell me who you'd like to see him against. This would be uh, your welterweights 15 through 9, I'll give you. Okay. Tiago Alves, Hector Lombard, Kevin Gastelum, our boy Gunner, Rick Story, Tariq Safadine, Dong Hung Kim. I like Tariq Safadine. Mm-hmm. I would watch him against that one. And what was the first one you said? Uh, Tiago Alves. Tiago Alves. Yeah. I, I think Tiago Alves but is probably he, not a top 15er anymore. I just think my personal opinion. I agree with that. I think Bam Bam is ready for a name, though. Gastelum obviously booked against Hendricks. And then Gunner, I think, deserves way better than Bam Bam. Well, and Lombard's leaving that division, right? Didn't I? Yeah, he's he fighting, He's going uh, to Dan Henderson. Henderson. Dan Henderson at 185. Yeah, yeah, that's a good fight. So you're basically looking at Dong Young Kim, Tariq Safadine, Rick Story, Tiago Alves. Yeah, and you don't want him against Gunner. I can't wait for Rick Story to come back. He's been gone for does two years. A, does he have a fight booked? I'm pretty sure he does. I'll check I it. don't mean to send the un, the non-existent intern on another task today. But... No, no, no. The non-existent intern is happy to look that up because we want Rick Story to have a fight. He does. He's fighting Tariq Safadine. That's awesome. Oh, so he can't fight Tariq Safadine. <laughs> That's why I couldn't so, figure out if Dung Tariq Safadine. So, Young Kim or uh, Alves. Or the winner of Tariq Safadine sure. and Rick Story yeah. or the loser. But he, the bottom you know, line whoever. is, hey, UFC, give Brian Barberino a legit top 15 opponent. Yeah, it's time for him to get somebody real. All right, we will now transition to our interview. We got a chance to catch up with Anton Zafir, the Australian 170-pound fighter. He'll be fighting Jingling Li coming up here. We had a chance to catch up with him. And before I play you that interview, I will tell you, this interview is brought to you by New England Submission Fighting. New England Submission Fighting, a mixed martial arts gym in the picturesque, quaint, lovely college town of Amherst, Massachusetts. Classes six days a week, stand-up striking, uh, gi jiu-jitsu and no gi jiu-jitsu, which is the specialty. This is the oldest mixed martial arts gym in Massachusetts, maybe even America. You know why I know that? Because it started right after UFC 1, because the owners watched UFC 1 and said, we got to do this. And they turned their karate school into an MMA school and started taking classes with Henzo Gracie uh, to learn jiu-jitsu. So I, I encourage you to, I implore you, to check out the website, Amherst MMA, A-M-H-E-R-S-T-M-M-A dot com. Uh, if you're in the Western Mass area, you're doing yourself a disservice. If you don't come down and check it out, tell them Dave and Gumby sent you. You'll be treated to a choke and a smile. New England Submission Fighting brings you our interview with Anton Zafir. 
This is Daniel Gumby Vreeland here with my co-host Dave Tremonti, and we are here with Anton Zafir, who fights July 8th at the Ultimate Fighter finale against Zhang Ling Li. Uh, we'll kick right into it here, Anton. Um, so we know that you are your current teacher? Yes, I'm currently teaching at a high school in um, Australia at the moment. Uh, I, I also am also a, a high school teacher uh, from time to time. So could you tell us a little bit about how your students reacted when they found out that you fight? Um, look, they, they, they've known I've fought for quite a while. Um, I've been you know, fighting locally for about six years. So, um, you know, it, the kids are pretty excited. They ask a lot of questions, which is good. And, you know, they're interested in training that I do. And they, they ask about my fights and want to see videos. So, you know, it, it's good to have the interaction with the kids. Hey, well, uh, a famous fighter by the name of Rich Franklin was once a math teacher in Cincinnati, Ohio. And uh, he, he ended up having a pretty good career. So not, not bad to be following in Rich Franklin's footsteps from teacher to octagon fighter. No, definitely not. I, I remember watching him, you know, once I started getting interested in the sport. So, it's, uh, you know, it's pretty cool. And hopefully I can live up to half of what he's done. You know, he's, he's definitely done a lot in MMA. So it's been great. Yeah, and it's, it's obviously a demanding uh, profession too. So in addition to that, like how is it uh, juggling both of those things, you know, being able to teach and being able to, you know, train which it, for, you know, a very, very competitive organization? Um, look, it, it is hard. Um, it's definitely not easy. Uh, the schools, the schools helped me out quite a bit. They've actually dropped my teaching load. Um, you know, last year I was working five days a week, so I was trying to get in some training in the morning before I worked, after I worked, and then um, you know train on the weekends and stuff like that. So it was definitely um, full on this year. The schools kind of jumped on board, and they've they've dropped my teaching load down to a couple of days a week, which allows me you know, to um, travel away or bring in guys to train with, um, you know, for a solid three or four days in a row and then and then work for a couple of days and then train for a couple of days. So it's, 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 been, um, it's been great this year with the school jumping on board to help out. And so this so. fight uh, coming up on July 8th, it's at the Ultimate Fighter finale. It's in Vegas. H- how excited are you to, uh, to come make your debut stateside? And what's that going to be like? How, how, how soon before the fight will you get into to Vegas? Um, look, I'm I'm pretty excited. You know, there was when you first start fighting. You know, to be able to fight internationally is you know that, that's that tick. You know, to um, to fight in America. You know, where UFC started and you know where all the um, the elite fights happen. You know, that's that's you know another tick. And then to be able to fight in Vegas, which is like you know the pinnacle of fighting. Um, you know, I've, I've spent the last five or six years watching. You know, heroes of mine fight in Vegas going, oh, you know, one day I'd love to have the opportunity to fight there. And to be given this opportunity against such a, you know, a veteran of the sport, tough opponent in Vegas, in the middle of International Fight Week. I mean, look, I was, I was extremely excited just to be given the opportunity. Um, due to the fact it is international, I'm going to be um, over there probably 10 days to two weeks beforehand. Um, you know, settling in, getting over jet lag, stuff like that, and then just preparing and getting ready to do, to have some fun. Absolutely. And, you know, just from the sounds of it, you know, you sound like you absolutely respect the history of, of fighting, of the UFC. Uh, who are some of the guys you looked up to? Who are some of the guys you'd like to try to model your career after? Look, um, you know, I loved watching the old, the old fights. You know, I, I loved watching... 
the Gracies and stuff like that and Shamrock. Um, but, I mean, it's, it's one of those things that as the sport's developed, you know, you've got these more well-rounded individuals that are coming from different backgrounds, bringing different... Um, Different things to the fight game, which is awesome to see. I mean, Demetrius Johnson is just an amazing athlete to watch. You know, I love watching him and how he puts his combos together, his movement, you know, his tenacity. Um, you know, I, I loved watching GSP, you know. I mean, Chuck Liddell was awesome. Uh, you know, Leota Machida, Rich Franklin, Dan Henderson in his prime. Uh, you know, all these guys are just amazing and and the history that they've established um, has been great. And just to be able to, you know, follow in just a couple of those little footsteps that they've made would just be, um, is just an awesome feeling. You know, part of our job as being broadcast journalists is we have to sometimes stalk uh, fighters' social media. And we did notice that back when UFC was in Brisbane, you got a chance to catch up with Frank Mir. You posted a photo on your Twitter, I believe it was. Did he have any words of wisdom for you from, you know, a veteran and a surefire future Hall of Famer to, to someone such as yourself just starting out in the UFC? Right, he, look, he was um, he's definitely uh, one of the nicest guys. I mean... It's hard, you know, when you see him on TV and and you see the way they carry on, not Frank Mir, but, you know, some of those other fighters and how they sell themselves and stuff like that, and you're like, oh, God, is he is he that much of a dick in real life? Or <laughs> you know, is, he, is, he, is he like that? And I mean, Frank Mir is a, a pretty much a gentleman um, all the time, but a lot of the fighters that I meet, you know, it's crazy. You know, it is a, it is a front. You know, most of the guys that I've worked with, trained with, or met, you know, they're lovely, down-to-earth, hard-working, determined people, you know, and, and they just do what needs to be done to to sell and promote and, and get that exposure. So, you know, Frank Mir just said, you know, enjoy it. Don't don't let it, don't focus too solely on it. Just make sure you enjoy every moment and enjoy the experience and go out and do your best and work your ass off because, you know, the next guy coming up behind you is working just as hard to take it, take your spot. You know, let's let's switch the question a little bit around to uh, the fight game uh, right before we let you go here. Um, you know, obviously your your first fight was uh, you got that one on a little bit on the the short notice side. You get a, a pretty tough opponent here in Jing Lang Lee, uh, who's way different than Mood Tossery. Uh, you know, like what are you changing about your camp, if anything, to get ready for somebody with a game like Lee? Look, yeah, I mean, with Mood Tossery, mate, I got seven days notice. You know, so it was it was all about losing weight and trying to make the weight, and then just going in and 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 showing what I was capable of doing. Um, you know, I felt like uh, I I got that opportunity, and I I, show, I demonstrated what I was able to do off seven days. Um, mate, look, each each camp I have a little bit of focus on my fighter, but I, I'm constantly just working on improving myself. You know, uh, if I get inundated while watching him. You know, I go, oh, he does this, i got to do this. And, you know, and then in the fight, he doesn't do it. You know, he's, he's seeing what he does constantly, so he decided to change it up. And that's all I've practiced, you know, then I get put off. So I, I don't really watch a lot of his fights. I let my coaches do that. And then we, um, we just work on every aspect of my game, so it makes me a better fighter going in. So I'm prepared, you know. We, I'm sure um, they've come up with little things that he does, you know, little idiosyncrasies that hopefully we can work on. But apart from that, you know, I'm just focused on improving myself. And look, he is a, he is a veteran um, 
MMA fighter. You know, he's, I think he's had five fights in the UFC. So, you know, I pride myself on taking tough fights. You know, I don't, I don't want an easy fight. So I'm just going in there and just um, hopefully show the best that I can do and come away with that win. All right. Well, hey, Anton, we are looking forward to the fight. It will be on July 8th at the Ultimate Fighter finale, a big stage for you. You will be fighting Jinglang Lee, and Australian MMA Australian MMA is on the rise between uh, Whitaker, Jake Matthews, and now you're going to get your crack to make a name for yourself. So we will look forward to your fight, and we can't thank you enough for the time today. I appreciate it, boys, and thank you very much for having me on the show. Really appreciate it. All right, Gumby, there you have it, Anton Zafir. Yeah, gotta love the uh, the Aussies. The Aussies give Top Turtle a lot of love. We wind up uh, we wind up interviewing quite a few Aussies and a New Zealander here and there. Well, the I mean Aussie MMA kind of on the rise, right? Robert Whitaker, Jake Matthews. Yeah, R- Robert Whitaker is the one that's technically Aussie or uh, New Zealand, right? He's born I think, in New Zealand, I trains think, in Australia. I think Australia adopted him. Yep. So then they got him. You can count Mark Hunt in there. Yep. Uh, adopted by Australia. Yeah, lots lots of good stuff down there. So. Um, uh, so, listen, it was a great episode. I had fun doing it. I hope you did, too. Always. I, I hope the listeners had fun. You, of course, can get us on TuneIn, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iTunes, anywhere a podcast is being streamed. We will be back next week with episode 20, and we'll be breaking down a pretty cool fight night, uh, Garbrandt versus Almeida. But on that card, Gumby, I would be remiss not to remind you that you have a returning Rick story. We yeah, just found that out two minutes ago. We probably should have known before now. <laughs> um, hey, they are making matches. Like It's impossible to keep Especially- up with. Especially the fight pass cards. Sometimes you we go to break these down, and he like reminds me of a fight, and I'm like, they have shit, that's on there. That's they have, freaking awesome. They have 500 fighters. This, ain't, you know, it ain't 2008 anymore. No, definitely. Where not. you could know every you know fighter on a pay per view card, and you know you remember it for weeks at a time. But then uh, Jeremy Stevens and Henan Barrow is on that card. Lorenz Larkin is fighting Jorge Masvidal, and Paul Felder's fighting. Yeah, there, there's lots of good ones on that card. Too. Jessica Eyes fighting. Yeah, and and some of the the prospects on the bottom of the card too that. Uh, Yuda uh, guy is is a heck of a jujitsu guy uh, out of Brazil, so that that's a fun one too. The I know he's a prospect, the Yuda guy, because one you called him the Yuda guy, and two he doesn't even have a picture on UFC. Yeah, you gotta love the guys who don't have their pictures up yet. All right, well, this has been another edition, another episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We, again, cannot thank you enough for joining us. We will be back next week uh, with a kick-ass show. We will choke you later. <laughs>